Morning. We come on Sunday mornings. Um, I know we come for one sort of central reason, but I think we, we, we come for all kinds of other reasons at the back of our heads too. What I want to do this morning is I want to concentrate on us thinking about partly the vision that's in front of us, what that's there for, and what we ought to, what do we ought to be doing about that. We've got some great help from uh, today's reading from Mark, uh, which we're going to have in a bit. But we've got to, we need to ground ourselves. We need to, to kind of have a base from which we're working. So we're going to start with, with two songs of worship. The first of those is Be Thou My Vision, which talks about us having this, this sort of picture of, of the, the heavenly joy that God puts in front of us and, and striving for that, working towards that and the kingdom of heaven being is established. And the second one kind of takes us from there, which is I'm going to trust in God. So having said, look, this is, you're my vision, Lord. You are what I am centred in. I'm going to trust in that. And that's going to be the bedrock from which we kind of spring forward. That's the idea of the first two songs. Heavenly Father, we pray, not just today, but throughout our lives, that you will be a vision before us. Something that's shines out brighter than all of the distractions of the world around us. A welcoming, beaming light that calls us toward you, towards the establishment of your kingdom, to a time when your glory fills the world as the waters cover the sea, so that there is nowhere where your glory is not. And despite all of the problems and the issues and the cares of life that try to get in the way, Lord, help us to trust in you. Whatever's going on in our lives, to keep you at the front and trust and our knowledge of your love to be the thing that drives us and drives the things that we do in our lives. Be with us, Lord, we pray, and help us to bring you praise and glory and honour in the things we do this morning. Because there is nothing that we can do that even begins to touch the amount of praise that, that we should give you. We thank you for your love and for your constant presence in our lives. And we pray that you will dwell in all of us more fully as we draw closer to you. Amen. You know, faith is a very delicate thing. It's very easily bruised or or damaged with things that happen to us. We like to think that our faith is really strong. And for some people, obviously, it is, you know, they've spent time building their faith up. And for others, there are It can take very little to bruise that faith. I was thinking when Charlie was talking about all of the people who who, who are sick and when Sam asked for us to to pray for his mum's neighbour. I don't know whether you saw an article in the paper this week 
that a nurse had been reinstated to her job. Did you see that? It was sort of hidden somewhere in the inside pages because she'd been suspended some time ago because she asked a patient whether it would be okay to pray for them. You know? And now they've, they've agreed that it's okay she can go back to work because she did such a presumptuous thing as to ask somebody if she could pray for them. What, and, you know, what does, what does it do to our, our faith when we find that... A, when we want to put it into practice, um, you know, people rebuff it and people don't, don't want to know. Nancy's going to come and read for us now Mark chapter 4. And I think that's a, a theme that recurs through some of the parables in, in Mark chapter 4 uh, and in some of the things that we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to have a look at uh, Jesus' parables. Nancy's going to read that for us. The parable of the sower. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The father sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown. Soon, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed, sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, They last only a short time. When the trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop 30, 
60 or even a hundred times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own dis disciples, he explained everything. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There came also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There are a whole pile of sort of agricultural um, references here in what, what Jesus is at. It was probably um, sort of springtime, I think, when Jesus was doing this, if my memory serves, serves me right. And um, so as he stood there on the boat out in Lake Galilee, with the hills kind of rising up around, because Galilee's in a kind of bowl and the hills go up around it on all sides, then quite a number of those are fairly fertile. There are some rocky bits. But, you know, there, there would have been, I'm fairly sure, gr grain waving in the fields there, heading towards harvest. And I think his audience would have probably divided itself into two. One lot who were going, hmm, I wonder what he means by this. And another lot who would have been sat there going, well, what kind of stupid farmer throws his seed all over the place? You don't throw seed on, on the paths. You don't throw it in, in weedy places. And you, you're a bit more careful about where you, where you put it, even if you're broadcasting 
broadcasting seed um, uh, in the kind of way that they would have done there. He didn't just waste it willy-nilly, throwing it on places where it wasn't going to uh, do any good at all. And, and what's this? And what's this nonsense about the mustard tree? Mustard doesn't grow into a tree; it's a little bush, you know. And there's, there's so much in the parables that is just complete nonsense. Well, it is if you're not listening. Yeah? And, that, and that, that's how, in, in a sense, God separates people out. Because you've got to, you've got to look past the, the bit of the whole thing into what God's really trying to get at. And, of course, we're, we're really good at that, aren't we? Because, you know, we've spent years, and decades in some cases, looking at God's word and pulling it apart verse by verse so that, you know, we can, some of us can tell anybody what some bit of it means because we, oh, no, 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 it doesn't mean that. It means, that, oh, how can you be so stupid, you know, to think that this is what God's saying here. These are fairly disjointed bits at the moment. They're all going to come together in a minute, so just bear with me. Last week, uh, when Mike Hardy was here, he was talking about us becoming uh, more Jewish you know, not forgetting the Jewish roots of, of the gospel and, and therefore thinking about that and thinking about, you know, the way in which they were connected to things and actually they had a great time, that a lot of their worship of God was centred around the feasts where they got together and essentially they had a big party. Yeah? And, and he was suggesting we ought to enjoy coming to God more. And I think in that he was absolutely right. But, you know, there are... Other aspects of the Jewishness of the gospel and the Jewishness of the first century that we want to look out for. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about in some of these parables and some of the related ones. Because right from the very off, Jesus was in conflict with the Jewish leaders. And that conflict did not finish because Jesus died. Paul, you, you will remember, was sent out by the, by the Sanhedrin to stamp the sect out. And just because he had a Damascus Road conversion that put him on the other side, doesn't mean that they gave up. There's hints all through the letters, and there's, there's fairly good evidence to support the fact that the Jewish leaders deliberately set out to derail first century Christianity. And some of the conflicts that became conflict in the early church continue with us now. See, I don't want you to get this wrong. The Jews had been sent out into exile because they had failed to keep God's law. And so they, their reaction to that was, we're not going to let this happen again. We're going to study the law, we're going to make absolutely sure that we, that we know what it says and we're going to do it. We're not going to fail at that hurdle again. But what they did was to know the detail of the law and to miss what it was all about. So that they could give tithes of mint and come in and not know about the weightier matters of the law. And 
it's easy to do the same thing with Christianity. To look at it and to pull it apart and to forget what it's all about. So I just want to spend a few um, minutes with some of these parables. We, we were talking at home about what I was going to exhort on. I said, oh, well, I think I'll spend a bit of time with the parable of the sower. And Liz said, you can't do that. Everybody knows the parable of the sower. There's, you know, we, just, um, uh, we can't sit there through that. Oh, okay then. Um, I am going to do it for a couple of minutes, though. Because there was, there was, in a sense, never any doubt about the ending point of these various bits of seed. When it fell on the path, it was never going to grow. And we know how those kind of conversations go. We, we talk to somebody about, about God's love and care and, and about what the gospel is about. And a few moments later, somebody else says, you don't want to listen to any of that rubbish. Yeah, all they'll, all these people will tell you to do is this. They'll, they'll just get into your, into your life and they want your money and they want, you know, and just don't listen to them. And those people find it a lot easier to listen to somebody who's just telling them not to listen than they do to listen to somebody who actually demands something from them in return in terms of their commitment. And the rocky places where people go, wow, oh, I didn't know about that, isn't that fantastic? Until the next thing comes along that's also, wow, and isn't that fantastic? And, and that grabs their attention too, because that's the kind of people they are. I have a very short attention span, which makes these kind of things, you know, anything that goes on for more than about 30 seconds, and I'm starting to look for the exit. So, you know, that could easily, that could easily have been me. I'm not quite sure why, uh, that in the particular case uh, of God's, word, it managed to get some deeper roots. And, and the seed that went in the thorns that grew up and choked the plants so that it didn't bear any fruit at all. Now that's easy too. And we don't necessarily notice that because the plant's growing. And yes, of course, we know there are weeds and there are thorns and there are other things out there, and you know, um, but they're not affecting me is what you think. And we need to carefully, I think, consider whether the other cares and, uh, of this life are actually choking us rather than us being as productive as we could be. Uh, because they always seem more immediate. The kingdom of God is so far off. It's such a distant thing that any here and now issues close in on us more. From, and, that's, and that's partly a failure to have a sort of focus on, on that. But then the good soil. Now, the good soil produces a crop multiplying 30 or 60 or 100 fold. Now, I don't think that I've, you know, spoken one-on-one, probably in my life with 100 people about, about God's word. Maybe I have. I, I don't know. You tend, not to, you tend not to know or count some... And you don't know, obviously, what, what influence... Uh, the things that you've done have had on various people who perhaps you never meet again in your, in your, in your life. But you know, if each of us here spoke to a hundred people this year, and each of those hundred people actually listened, and, uh, and spoke to another hundred people, 
And you could imagine that the hundreds didn't overlap because, unfortunately, if I speak to you, you're going to speak to the person sat next to you and that doesn't count. If we did that at 100 a year, then in six years, everybody on the planet would have heard the message. That's not much, is it? You know, you tell 100 people and the whole planet's heard in six years. Slightly more than the whole planet, but, you know... And yet, that isn't the way that it works. But, if we keep it buried, which is what the next parable, the lamp on the stand, is talking about, it's not going to get anywhere at all, is it? Okay, so we know all that. What I think is interesting from that first parable is that the the sower knew what the soils were like, and still he sowed. And how many times do you hear the excuse that nobody wants to listen, it doesn't matter, it's a waste of time because nobody's interested in God. That's not our call. Our call is just to throw it anywhere because we actually can't, you know, it would be, if, if he said that the sower was blindfolded when we come to thinking about us, then that would be a much better analogy in some ways because we can't see what the soil types are like, we don't know. And we are, we are so judgmental in, in the way in which we do these things very often. We say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And as the parable of the growing seed in verse 26 says, man's got a seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. We don't, we don't have any control over that, over that process. As Paul said, I sow, Apollos waters, God gives the increase. And that's the process that's going on in, in that parable. Now, if we were in Matthew, when we looked at all these, and so I'm going to flick just over to Matthew 13, Matthew includes another parable that Mark doesn't. This is where sort of scant familiarity with the scriptures kind of leads you into all kinds of dark alleys, because I looked at this and I thought, oh yes, right, oh, this chapter, yes, fine, fine, fine. I'll just mention a bit of stuff about the parable of the tares, or the parable of the weeds, and of course it isn't in Mark 4, it's actually in Matthew 13, which is why we've got to move out of today's chapter. Serves me right, uh, for thinking I knew what I was talking about. So let me just read these few verses from verse 36 of Matthew 13. Then Jesus left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and he said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Right, well, and if you remember, the parable of the weeds in the field was that a man sowed good seed, but while he was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and, and they sprouted up together. He says, verse 37, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, they'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who's got ears to hear? Let him hear. And there are several things there that I think it's important that we take note of. The first is that this started off, the problem started as a deliberate act of an enemy. In the parable itself it says, while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So it isn't 
I think there's more to this parable than just all of the problems that are in the world, because this was something that was, that was quite deliberate. And if we think about the parable of the, the sower, the, you know, you might feel that this is a bit like the, the weeds and the thorns that one seed fell amongst, but those are, are talked about as being the cares and the concerns of this life crowding in on the good seed. Whereas this parable is saying that they are different people. Yeah? They are the sons of, of the evil one. And Jesus used that phrase elsewhere actually because when the Jewish leaders were saying we, we're the sons of Abraham, we, we've not been slaves to anyone, he said, you're sons of your father the devil because you don't actually do what God asks you to do. And having seen that they tried to destroy the early church, they tried to do it by making it like them. Making the church become pharisaical in its attitude, in being concerned about all the details and workings of the law. And I believe that spirit is still at work in, in the church. The sad thing is that what happens is sometimes that when people see that and they say, uh, you know, um, you, you, you're just a, a bunch of Pharisees, they turn away from God altogether. Or they go somewhere that has not the, the fullness uh, of the truth because somewhere we need to balance our insistence that, that our understanding of God and so on is right with actually doing something about it, with being loving, compassionate, forgiving people. And you see, that's the great thing uh, about law. It relieves us from having to think about anything, uh, about having to make decisions, because you just turn it up in the book and you say, well, the law says this. The law says uh, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The law says that if you catch somebody uh, doing this, that you stone them to death. Not my fault, you know. I'm not responsible for somebody's death because, you know, they brought it on themselves. So what are those kind of the evil influences that are at work now that would draw us away from a true and proper understanding of what God wants from us? Well, I think... For some people, it would be a spirit of legalism, that they look at the way that people are and they say, well, you know, that's not... I think that people are too insistent on sets of rules. I think for other people, they say, well, you know, the influences of of other churches outside draw us away from our true understanding of what God is like, and we shouldn't shouldn't let that exist. But wherever you are on that spectrum, and whatever you you think are, are the, the wrong influences that are coming to bear on you, on your church. God's answer is actually the same. And that is, leave them alone. That doesn't mean don't talk them, don't, don't argue them, but don't go on some witch hunt that, you know, pulls people up and, and throws them out because you don't agree with them. Why? we come back to one of the first things that I said. Because faith is delicate. And we can be so unloving to people that we think are wrong 
that we can damage the faith of other people. And that is not what God wants us to do. Now, so, so the other side then is that we tolerate things that we think are wrong. Just like the seed was sown on all different types of soil, and some of them gave signs of growth, but later did not bring forth the fruit that God wanted, so too we need to tolerate those who will eventually not make it to the kingdom. Because we don't know, for a start off. Even when Jesus did know, you know, I mean, I I think a, a great example of this, probably in practice, is Judas. Jesus knew from the moment that he picked Judas that Judas was never going to fully understand or accept. And yet, for three years, he was alongside all of the other disciples. So, how, how, does, how does that sombre uh, <laughs> reflection lead us uh, to, the, to the bread and wine? Well, in one sense, the talking about the field with the good and bad bits in is a bit like when we think about the body of, of Christ. But because uh, a hand says, uh, a foot says, I'm not the hand, you know, therefore I'm not part of the body, what do we, that, isn't, that isn't so. It's about a, it's about a unity. It is still part of the body, whether it thinks it is or isn't. But there's also a contrast with the body, because when we talk about the body, that is those who are in Christ. It's not those who eventually won't be. The difference between the two parables, or between the two analogies, if we like, the, the analogy of the field where there are some good and bad, and you let them grow together, but you till the harvest, and the analogy of the body where bits might want to break away but should be held to contain, is that God knows, God knows which are wheat and which are tears, God knows what is part of the body. And so I think our responsibility is always to act as though things were part of the body because we don't know the difference. And and what we come here to do is to celebrate that connection that we have to the head of the body as being parts of that body yeah and and even if i even if i sit here and think well i'm well you know I, i'm not sure whether whether alex should be part of the body or, I, or i'm not sure whether whether john should be part of the body or or ben <laughs> as soon as he's shaking his head you know and that doesn't <laughs> that that doesn't that's not the point The point is, I should be connected to the head, you should be connected to the head, and therefore we should be connected to each other. Our relationship becomes because God dwells in us. So here we we celebrate that connection. Here we celebrate growing in Christ. Because it isn't a static process. It isn't that the the plant arrives fully formed. We have here young, delicate plants that have that have had but months of knowing and serving God. And we have hardened, wizened, you know, trunk like plants that have been at it for, for years and years and years. We have delicate, weedy little plants that have been at it for years and years and years and hardened trunks that have only been at it for a couple of years. So, you know, the point is, we just can't tell. 
And we have to protect each other's faith. We have to nurture each other's faith because as the parable of the test tells us it can so easily be damaged if we try and, you know, sort stuff out around it. So here we celebrate our connection to the head. Here we, we celebrate growing in Christ, growing as individual plants and growing together. And here we celebrate a promise. A promise that God says that even if bits of my life are slightly choked with weeds and thorns, and even if I've got some rocky places where it's not really getting a decent route, God's going to overlook that. And he's going to protect us from the birds that would come and peck away at it. And he's going to protect us from the tares that are growing next to us in the field because he wants to preserve the wheat through to the harvest when the angels come and reap it and God establishes his kingdom. And we, we said, we're going to trust in God. That's what we sang right at the beginning. With that vision in front of us, we're going to trust in, in God. So, before Tim comes and gives our thanks for the bread, we're going to sing from the hymn book, hymn 232, Jesus, thou joy of loving hearts, the fount of life, the light of men, from the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to thee again. Because to those that seek thee, thou art good, to them that find thee, all in all. And we feast on, on Jesus. Our spirits yearn for you. Whatever happens around us, Lord God, our Father, you're looking down upon us all this morning and you know that each one of us is at a different stage of our growth. Each one of us has understood so much and there is yet so much more. And Father, we are all still your children and you make the allowance necessary for each one of us. Father, our prayer this morning is that every day we might find and have another opportunity to learn and to grow. We are grateful that each one of us has been given today the bread of life, May we each take of it that which we need, however great, however small, sufficient for each day. And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to give us what we need, that every single one of us sitting here this morning together might grow, grow in faith, grow in understanding, and grow in love. Thank you, Father, for giving us something more to eat. Amen. Jesus said, Take, eat. This is my body. Trevor's going to give our thanks for the wine. Father God, I thank you for the relationship you have with each one of us. I thank you for the fact that you love us because of who you see, maybe not because of who we are. I thank you for the fact that you love us because of our potential. 
because you see us through your eyes and not through ours. I thank you for the fact that you love me despite me and so much so that you chose to give Jesus. You chose to pour out his blood because of how much you love each one of us. And our journey to know you is very different but all the time you are pulling us toward you and we thank you for that. Please, in the time in front of us, encourage us even more and help us be more open to getting to know you for who you are, a loving and wonderful God who was prepared to give his one and only Son that we should all come to know you. Thank you for this cup again. We thank you for blessing it. In the name of Jesus, our Saviour and our friend. Amen. Warren speaks so eloquently about God's love because it shows how much he was prepared to give for us. So let's share it. God didn't choose Derek because he's like Ewald. God didn't choose Ewald because he's like John. God didn't choose John because John's like Christine. John didn't choose Christine because she's like Alex. God didn't choose me because I'm like anybody. He chose us each because of what we are. The other parable in uh, Matthew 13 talks about the dragnet. It says all the fishes were different. The parable of the soil said some brought forth, multiplied 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. All the responses were different. God is a God of diversity. And in the same way, the hymn that we're about to sing, 163, it isn't about God taking our lives, it's about taking my life, taking my moments and my days, because my moments and my days are different from your moments and your days. They give different opportunities, different ways of service. It's my hands, it's my feet, it's my voice, it's my lips, because God can use each of those differently. And each of them can give him glory in a different kind of way. So we'll sing him 163, Take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. It isn't about in here. It's partly about in here, but it isn't. We're going to sing a, a couple more songs to finish. We're going to sing Amazing Grace and Come Now is the Time to Worship. And we're going to sing Come Now is the Time to Worship because we're going to sing it going out. I've, I've done this before, I think, actually, but... Because the time to worship is, is with all our lives. See, grace, the amazing grace we're going to sing, not only found us, gave us sight, saved us, but it leads us through the dangers, toils and snares. God has been gracious to us. That's what we celebrate, God's graciousness. We, brothers and sisters, have to be gracious not in the ballerina-like sense that I will never have, but in our graciousness to one another. I know, it's a, it's a horrible picture, but don't, uh, don't dwell on that too much. Just think about the, the other side of it, which is our graciousness to each other. And in that, even people like me can manage it occasionally. You know, that those who, who, who know me, even passingly, uh, um, will, will appreciate that, that I don't suffer fools gladly. It's not something I find, I find easy. You know? But 
what we, what we, I, I try my best at, at, at times. But what we should all do is, is we must suffer everyone graciously. That's what we're called to do. Because we've got to be like God. And God throws his seed on the path and on the stony ground. He, he doesn't care. Yeah? He does care. But, but not in terms of being partial in, in, in the way in which it's distributed. And it must be the same with our grace. And now is the time to worship because we worship with our lives. It's, it's no good sort of, you know, standing here and singing. And I, I know that that song that we just sung, a lot of people find it really difficult to sing because they find it difficult to, to actually believe that they're actually as committed as they're trying to say that they are when they, when they say, you know, take my heart, take my life. But, but even if you can manage to sing it in here, that isn't what it's about. It's about us doing it day to day. It's about Debbie going round and, and seeing Gladys. It's about um, all the things that various members of the care committee m- manage to, to do when others of us seem to find our lives so full with things that we don't find time to do some of those things when we ought to. It's about putting our graciousness into action day by day. See, one day the world will be full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. There won't be anywhere where the light of God doesn't shine. There won't be anywhere where people don't praise and glorify God. But we can't just wait for that to happen. We have to be that light now. And as our final song things, the greatest treasure is for those who choose now to serve God. Brothers and sisters, be the wheat growing in good soil to bring forth the hundredfold increase because that's what we should be. So we're going to sing, first of all, Amazing Grace on Praise the Lord and then Come Now is the Time to Worship which will be up on the screen. Both of them are ones that I know that we know well. And then uh, just remain standing, we'll close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank you that you're a God of diversity, a God who makes us all different and rejoices in that difference. That you don't want us to be robots or clones, but you want us to worship you in our hearts and in our lives. That you want a relationship with each of us. That you are pleased to call us your sons and daughters. Father, we we can't even begin to imagine what it will be like when we are freed from the sinful nature of our bodies, when we are glorified and raised with the Lord Jesus, when we are able to worship you fully and to fully appreciate the love that you have shown to us throughout our lives. I feel sometimes we, we just go through parts of our lives blindfolded and, and not noticing all the stuff that you do around us. And certainly we don't thank you anything like enough. We don't appreciate perhaps as fully as we should how you have saved us from death and at what cost. 
Lord, we thank you that we have a vision of the kingdom, however dim that may be. We thank you that we can put our trust in you. We thank you that you're there for us. Help us then, Lord, to give our lives to you. To give them fully. To worship you with all our moments, all our days, all of the faculties that we can bring to bear because of the amazing grace that you have shown to us. And help us to be gracious, we pray, to others. Not judging them by the standards that we impose, but leaving that decision to you. And in the meantime, just being a channel of your love. So Father, help us to go from here and to worship you in our lives day to day and with every person that we meet. For Jesus' sake. Amen.